The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode 158. Captain DeBridge. Spock here. Make it so. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the Enterprise story, Shadows of Pajem. Joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going, Dom? Very well, thanks. And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, remember to follow the secrets of Star Trek in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, your favorite podcast app, or on YouTube. And you can find our YouTube channel by going to sqpn.com slash YouTube. So, yes, we're discussing Shadows of Pajem, the this first season Enterprise episode. Jimmy, can you give us a quick recap on what happens in this episode? Vulcan High Command is mad because Vulcan High Command. <laughs> this time, they're mad about the fact that the Enterprise allowed the Andorians to discover their listening base on Pajem a few episodes ago. They blame T'Pol in particular for allowing this to happen, and to retaliate, they're going to transfer her right off the ship. But Archer takes her on an away mission to the planet Corridan. Unbeknownst to the Enterprise, Corridan is having a civil war between the Vulcan-backed government and the Andorian-backed rebels. The Andorian-backed rebels take Archer and T'Pol captive, and we have a can-they-get-away? No. Or will-they-be-rescued?-yes plot. <laughs> Eventually, Trip and Malcolm team up with Shran and another Andorian to rescue them from the Andorian-backed rebels. The Vulcans also try to rescue them from the Andorian-backed rebels, and we have a firefight. T'Pol saves the Vulcan captain's life by jumping in front of a beam weapon. Phlox then commits medical malpractice by saying that she's <laughs> too sick to move so the Vulcans can't take her off the ship yet. And Archer talks the captain into talking to Vulcan High Command to stop the transfer. The <laughs> end. <laughs> Two and a half out of five stars. <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm up in agreement with that. There are things about this that I liked, things about this that I disliked. But uh, yeah, that's a, for, it's about a, for, an average episode. For a first season Enterprise episode, this was probably one of the better. That yeah, doesn't say yes. a lot about the first season of Enterprise, but it is one of the <laughs> right. better. It is certainly better than many first next first season next gen episodes. Yeah. Most definitely, most and definitely. I, yeah. I, I will I will disagree with Flocks doing medical malpractice. He just really <laughs> stretched the truth. Yeah, like, yeah, re- yeah. I mean, like this is like laffy taffy stretched to its yeah. max. You know, <laughs> yeah. oh, he, he's flat out lying. He's telling them that she he doesn't know if she'll survive when. He gives her a hypo spray and she sits up and talking as soon as the Vulcan guy is gone. Right. Well, it's interesting. I don't know. I wish I could say if she would live. Yeah. They <laughs> lied to the Sopak, the, the Vulcan captain. Then they lied it to Paul. Like, they, yeah. they lied to Sopak to get him about the extent of her injuries to manipulate him into defending her before Vulcan High Command and getting her reinstated. And then they lie to her about what they just did. I'm like, 
and saying that Sopek volunteered to do it because she saved his life. And uh, it's very like I did. I didn't read that as a lie, but no. maybe I need to go back and re-listen to that. See, again, I, I again I see that as kind of a really stretching the truth. Yeah, he at was best encouraged they were... to volunteer to. <laughs> yeah, at best it was a it was a stretch of the truth. I think. Yeah. So one of the interesting interesting things about this, I in my researching is the Jolene Blaylock, the actress who plays to Paul, pointed out that this episode's portrayal of the of the Vulcans can be seen as analogous to the Catholic Church, from her point of view. Okay. Do tell. This is her quote. Shadows of Pajem address something that I like to compare to the Catholic Church. When you take something that in all aspects represents holy, the monastery of Pajem, no matter how holy something can be, when power is mixed into it, things become shady. Everybody is subject to temptation, I guess. Whether it's greed or, you know, seven deadly sins, it doesn't matter. Whatever it may be, whatever their weakness is. The Catholic Church has its own problems, so there's a certain darkness that some light was shed on in this episode. And keep in mind, this came out in 2002, so mm, the, yeah. the Catholic Church was in the news for all the wrong reasons uh, at that time. So I think it's kind of interesting. What she's saying is, is what the Vulcans did with the Monastery of Pajem is they took a holy place, then you used it for po- geopolitical or whatever the, the word is in this case, for geopolitical means, and they got mad when it was discovered that they were basically using the monastery and the monks as Vulcan, you know, human shields, Vulcan shields for this as a intelligence, yep. as a cover. Right. And, and so she's pointing out that when you use something holy as a cover for something nefarious or underhanded, that's bad. And that was what was happening in the Catholic church at the time. Yeah. I think my, what the historical <laughs> comparison that occurred to me is a little more apt. I would say <laughs> what yeah. this reminded me of is the Cold War games between the CIA and the KGB, yeah. where we were using front groups in third world nations, and we were both doing it. It's clear the Vulcans and the Andorians are in a state of Cold War. You know, it's mm-hmm. not a hot war, but they're hostile, so it's Cold War, and they are using front groups in less developed planets, and mm-hmm. it's very much like what we were doing in Central America and Vietnam and the Middle East and all kinds of places around the world. It's interesting to see Earth in the in the role of not the uh, the Americans or the Russians in that that scenario that analogous scenario, mm-hmm. but as a third party, and that the Vulcans were trying to make Earth into another one of these client state fronts. And Earth wasn't going for it and was really asserting itself. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. It's hard to think. I I don't know that I'll be able to, but I'll try to think if I can think of a nation that played an analogous role in the Cold War, but it's hard to. Yeah. Because the Cold War here on Earth was so polarizing Mm -hmm. that you were either in the American camp or the Soviet camp or you were irrelevant. Right. Right. And I can't think of a of a country in either camp that was kind of exerting independence the way Earth is in this. I mean, there were obviously there were obviously moments mm-hmm. that, you know, where a given ally would say, We're not doing that. Right. Right. But it's hard to think of, of a of a of someone that was in the orbit of one or the other superpower that was consistently pushing the envelope. Right. Yeah. I, I was going to say, in, in the beginning of the Cold War, China was sort of a client of, 
uh, the communist Russia. change, which sort of a client of the Soviet Union, and asserted itself to become a major power, so, sort of, I guess. Well, yeah, but then they became a key player. Um, they became a key opponent. Yeah. It, it, you know, that was responsible for a lot of the conflicts we had in Southeast Asia. Right, right, right. Yeah. What I, I think there's a bit of a, a, a disanalogy between the situation in this episode and our Cold War yeah. in that our Cold War was bipolar, mm-hmm. whereas theirs is multipolar yeah. because you have all these different civilizations that are still in a pre-Federation state that have antagonisms. Mm-hmm. And so that multipolarity may cause the lines to be less sharply drawn. I have to say that I much prefer this Vulcan and Dorian Cold War story arc to the temporal mm-hmm. Cold War story arc. In <laughs> yeah, <case>. yeah, because <laughs> it's coherent and they actually explored it a little bit. They never did that with it. They, there's potential in a temporal Cold War story. Yeah. But you got to pursue it and they don't. Yeah. Yeah. Not um, until they get the ridiculous <laughs> lizard aliens in Nazi uniforms. It's like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> that I didn't need to see. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, interesting also that despite Pajem being in the title, it, it this action doesn't take place anywhere around Pajem. It's the shadows of Pajem. It's the consequences of Pajem that are playing yeah, out right. here at this other planet. And it's nice to have a a, a, a continuity episode, something yeah. that, you know, we didn't just hit the reset button hard and there were no consequences, which is what normally happens in a Star Trek episode. They're at least tentatively breaking out of that mold and having some actual plot development occur across episodes. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's at the planet Corridon, which yeah. shows up in Journey to Babylon TOS, where they're becoming a member of the Federation at that point. So kind of interesting mm-hmm. to have that. It took here. them a while. <laughs> it took, yeah, it took a while. Come on, we got we got the two people who were fighting over you on board. What's your problem? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I like this idea. I guess I kind of said this already, but that the Earth is kind of pushing back on the Vulcans. Like that opening scene in Admiral Forrest's office where uh, the Vulcan ambassador is sort of like, well, our choice for captain of the Enterprise was this other guy who is much more malleable and amenable to <laughs> to us. And Forrest has to remind them, like, look, you're not running things here. You're advisors. Hey, we want Jeffrey Sinclair in charge of Babylon 5, okay? <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and, and it's, the Vulcan point of view is, is like, we're, we're this technologically, in all other ways, superior people, trying to make sure that these less advanced, you know, uh, hucksters, yeah, don't mess up the, the, the galaxy. And it's a, like a kind of country mouse, city mouse sort of thing. They look at mm-hmm. us as, you know, as these backwards, you know, Backwoodsers, Hicks. Hicks. Yeah, I'm trying to trying to trying to avoid pejorative language. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's the Vulcans in Enterprise Humans are, are Hicks. Yeah, yes, Vulcans in the Enterprise are kind of jerks. <laughs> like I just well, have to say, <laughs> and I I, I I will say that you know Gary Graham, who plays Ambassador Saval, is so so good at that character where he can just yeah. be condescending while being emotionless. You know, of course, the, the Vulcans <laughs> they're not emotionless in these right roles at all i mean he's he, he's very well there's a time when you humans look to us for help and now you're rejecting us and yes we've grown up we're teenagers <laughs> now okay yeah you got yeah. a problem with that you're not my we, dad we got, our, we got our driver's <laughs> license now we we don't need you yeah that's it we got 
We were going to the mall, dude. <laughs> like, I'll take your keys away to your starship. <laughs> so, yeah, I have in my notes, this is a Make Vulcans Look Ugly episode. And, yeah. And this was a problem for the series. I mean, I understand on the writing level, relationships take time to develop. And so from a writing perspective, it can make sense to say, let's start with the beginning of the human-Vulcan relationship and to create drama, let's have it not go well initially. So I understand that as a writer. But from a franchise perspective, Mm -hmm. Mr. Spock, Vulcans are beloved allies, the end. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. Right. And and you're going to honk off your fans if you do what they did with right. the Vulcans. So it it from a from a writing perspective it's understandable, but from a franchise perspective it's a mistake. And they did actually kind of walk that back towards the end of the series. Right. Where it turns out that there was more radical, more militant uh arm of Vulcan society had taken over had taken control and that eventually got overthrown. Yeah. But it took them a couple of seasons to get that point. And by that point, the series had basically had the last nail in the coffin pounded because, in. Because because the mistakes they made early on. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Interesting that Discovery kind of has gone that route in the most recent season where making Vulcan no longer part of the Federation. and uh, But they seem to be walking that back a little. And it looks like in the next season, they're going to mend things. But and I, um, I, th- I think they handled that better. Much better than mm-hmm. that's one thing I will give for the most recent episode or season of Discovery is they did handle that fact that Vulcan Navarre, as they call it, yeah. eventually did uh, and, walk away and, from the Federation. And did you notice the name of the ship in this episode? Mm-hmm. The Vulcan ship is the Navarre. Yep. Oh, so the yeah. uh, the writers of Discovery did a callback to this episode. So mm. now we know what what the name of this ship means in Vulcanese. It means yeah, it's the name of the planet. Interesting. Uh, other thing is, is when Archer tells to Paul, like uh, the the Vulcan High Command has recalled you. You're being you're being pulled back to uh, you know uh, taken off the ship and being replaced. That. Uh, he still, after all this time, you know, six months together on the on the this journey, he still is expecting her to have an emotional reaction. You should be mad about this. Why aren't you mad about this, dude? Because she's a Vulcan, <laughs> or, or or even apart from being a Vulcan, maybe she's just not that into you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other thing is, is 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 speaking of that, Archer seems to have really changed his opinion of T'Pol. Like early on in this season. He was suspicious of her. She was uh, maybe, you know, kind of saw her as an enemy or a spy amongst them. Now he's come to really rely on her, depend on her, see her as a key member of the crew that he doesn't want to lose. I, I, I like that they have moved in that direction and that she's no longer the suspicious alien among us. Uh, so that's good. <laughs> they do continue the lie that Vulcans don't lie. <laughs> We've <laughs> clearly seen that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and this is kind of... This is just so. Once they get captured, a lot of this is just filling time. Yeah, and it's just we're just spinning our wheels and filling time in this episode. And so they have to Paul lie to the Andorian-backed rebels and tell them that Archer is really the ship's steward, and they're here to prepare a feast for the Vulcan-backed government. Mm-hmm. And they assume, because she's a Vulcan, and Vulcans are always in charge in their mind, they assume she's a captain. 
And there's an interesting moment where they're talking to Enterprise on the phone and they tell them, we've got your captain and she said this and we've got your steward. And so the Enterprise crew is able to kind of piece together the lie Mm -hmm. that T'Pol told them. But this lie has no effect on the plot whatsoever. It vanishes. They never pay it off. There are never any any consequences from them thinking that he's a steward instead of the captain. You could have omitted this entirely, and the plot would have worked exactly the same way. There is nothing crucial hinging on them thinking that Archer is just a steward instead of a captain. Mm-hmm. Right, right, exactly. Well, the, the, the whole scene of them being tied up and trying to oh, get loose Oh, goes on forever. Goes on forever. Some very unnecessary sexual innuendo in the middle of it. I mean, it was... What? It's Gene Roddenberry was dead by this point, right? I think he or this wasn't (laughs) like why were they putting this stuff in it? Like, was this uh, they were trying to sex up the show? I mean, it was right there from the first episode where we've got to smear biogel all all over each other's bodies (laughs) while scantily clad. Right, right. So this was more of that, but at least it was. And I was really watching it closely because I wanted to see how much you know were they going to try to sexualize this. Mm-hmm. Because there is a later episode where, as an, in another colossal writing mistake, Archer admits to Phlox that he's got feelings for T'Pol. Mm-hmm. Right. And then they drop that like a rock and make Tripper boyfriend. Yeah. Right. So I was, I, knowing that's coming, I wanted to see, are they going to play on that here? Because they've got to, we're tied back to back. Oh, let's struggle around so we can get face to face now and be tied to each other face to face. Mm-hmm. and help each other out of the bonds. And it's so uncomfortable what they're doing. I mean, maybe the writers intended it to be sexy, but the way the the actors portrayed it, it was just uncomfortable, you know, <laughs> yes. f- physically uncomfortable. And right. so it doesn't come across as sexy. What what I think does tip their hand a little bit in that regard is Archer starts talking about how the Vulcans denied my dad something really important to him. And I'm not going to let that happen to me. Mm-hmm. And he's implying to Paul, you're really important to me in the way my dad's career was to him. Right. Right. Um. Okay. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Really. Well, and, and, and then they they back it up by her falling on top of him in a certain way. That's like, yeah. Yeah. Apparently there was a prank on set. So when they one of the takes they did that, the sound crew started playing Love Shack on the uh, on the speakers <laughs> on set. Which mm. well, apparently the crew thought it was silly too. So, uh-huh. yep. <laughs> yeah. So, um, it, it is interesting that there were these implications in the in the way they acted it and in the script that they were going to make this relationship between Archer and Paul, and that would have, like you said, Jimmy, that would have been a mistake. I just you don't need to have that. Yeah. I mean, that would have been like Tuvok and Janeway, you know, or something. Mm. You know, it just would have been or the weird. Doctor and Rose, <laughs> right? Yeah. Right? Or. uh Although they did start to go with Janeway and Chakotay at one point, which also, I don't know what that is, why they have this need to do that, but that would have been a mistake, too. Because well, there's probably some suit somewhere that says, sex sells, so we need it. Right. And TV writers know that one way to generate drama is by romance. Romance, yeah. and, yep. And, uh, and to make the stakes bigger, you make it your main character. But sometimes, sorry, no. This show works better if Mulder and Scully are not having a romance together. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. Agreed. So, uh, Reed, meanwhile, is uh, still trigger happy. <laughs> and uh, He comes up with this precipitous plan to rescue the captain without having any knowledge of the situation on the ground, how many enemies there are, the layout of where they're being held, 
He just wants to go in guns a blazing. Uh, and that's what the Vulcans want to do. They want to go in guns a blazing too. And Trip is like, "Oh, wait a minute! Why are you Vulcans just as trigger happy as us? You know, <laughs> we're the ca- we're we're cautious ones. Your crazy Vulcan plan could get them killed. Yeah. It's like you're in Malcolm's plan also doesn't have the risk of getting them killed, <laughs> right?" I mean, Probably the, Vulcans, <laughs> the Vulcans at least are wanting to go in in force. You're taking two guys, two right guys now. on a rescue mission. Really? And, and not even undercover. They like, literally have just their regular uniform jacket on. And a hood. Yeah. They have a hood. So that's that That yeah. saves them. <laughs> well, you, you aliens, I've never seen your alien type before. Yes, we don't have a little bump in the middle of our forehead like yeah, you guys do. <laughs> but, but accept a bottle of Andorian whiskey for me as I'm walking by your guard station in the middle of the night. It's like, okay, I'm pretty sure... Andorian-backed rebel guard training includes do not accept intoxicating beverages mm. or any beverages from someone you don't know of a different species who walks up to the guard post in the middle of the night. Right, right. Yeah, yeah I mean, On the other it, hand, yeah. guards sometimes get drunk. Yeah. yeah. Well, if they're rebels, maybe they're just not disciplined or something. Although yeah. they apparently are rebels who have access to fighter jets, so there's that. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, and I like speaking of the fighter jets. So as to Paul and, and Archer are coming down on the shuttlecraft, this this ship starts um, coming after them mm-hmm. in, in the atmosphere and and like fires and their fires on them and then tells them to go to certain coordinates mm-hmm. and they don't know who this is. They're coming down to meet the government. And instead of saying, wait, are you the government people that we were in contact with? Who are you? And yeah, sure, we'll go to these coordinates that you've mentioned, or at least fly in their direction while we sort this out. Let's just fire on your butts. (laughs) You know, this makes no sense to me. They don't have, after a warning shot, I mean, you don't know the customs of this planet. Those aren't in the Vulcan database. Yeah. Paul's made a point that their customs are not in the Vulcan database. So fire a warning shot and direct you where to go could be their way of showing respect. I mean, that's how the Membari War got started, okay? <laughs> um, <laughs> well, and you're in a spacecraft. He's in a fighter, an air, like, Paul says, it's an airport, an airplane, like, not a yeah. spacecraft. So go up, <laughs> like... If you're in a spacecraft, go up out of range and then go exactly. and then get back to your ship, contact the government, and say, what's going on? I thought we were welcome. And then so, sort it out. But no, let's have a dogfight <laughs> with this thing that Which turned out very badly. Yes. Yeah. So the interesting thing. So I, I got to say, Jeffrey Coombs is awesome. And every every time he shows up in Star Trek, he's mm-hmm. always great. He, I just love Jeffrey Coombs mm-hmm. and all his roles. Brunt, Me too. Wayun and in Shran. And, and and others, but those and, are the yeah. three main ones. Yep. Yes. Uh, in this, so Shran is. I got the sense that Shran was doing what is doing against the rebels, not being sanctioned by his own government. He's sort of gone off off book to do this mm-hmm. because he has a personal debt to Archer. I kind mm-hmm. of felt like that was implied in what he was saying. I didn't. I thought this was confusing poor writing in this part of the episode because if these are andorian backed rebels and you've got a relationship with them why are you sneaking around why don't you just go to them and say hey we'd like to get these people out they're really not on the side of the vulcans well yeah or i mean at least explore that option and tell us why you can't do it if you've just told us we are backing these rebels 
why can't you ask the rebels for a favor? I mean, maybe there's a reason the rebels won't comply, mm-hmm. but you need to at least raise that yeah. possibility for the audience's sake instead of just going in and starting a firefight definitely with your should've. own allies. Right, right. Yeah, they definitely should have put it, put that in. That that was the poor writing bit. But uh, it, it is interesting that, that Tran at least has some interesting motivations and is forming this relationship that he has with, you know, uh, with Archer. Somewhat antagonistic a little bit, but, or suspicious. But somewhat. Somewhat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, he, and so I, I love Jeffrey Combs, and I'm glad he's in here as Shran. I'm not particularly happy with the way Shran is written, because he's, mm. they try to modify him so he's not just over-the-top militaristic guy. I mean, he needs to be militaristic, because that's mm-hmm. how the Andorians were established in Journey to Babel. Yeah. My race is a warrior species. Okay, great. So we need that here. But like Klingons often get written as cartoon warriors. Right. You know, with their noble pride and everything. Okay, that's the way Shran's being written. He's not as violent as a Klingon, but he's as hostile as a Klingon. And he is over the top cartoony. Like, the reason I'm here is because I can't get a decent night's sleep because I am in debt to Archer and. Now that I have untied Archer and not even safely gotten him out of a base, but just because I've untied him, my debt is fully paid. (laughs) Got that, Mr. Archer? Merely untying you fully repays my debt for what you did revealing the Vulcan listening base at Pajem. Right, right. Boy, who knew slitting a couple of ropes was so momentous in Andorian (laughs) culture? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, it, it that's that's the thing is, is even when you know Enterprise has the, these good stories, the writing just sort of stumbles along, and they they just I don't know what it is about this, why they had such trouble with this series getting good scripts, <laughs> you know, ca- ca- following through on the the good ideas that they have, uh, at least in the beginning, and so that's and it, yeah. And I wonder how much of that is getting the scripts, and how much of that was the leadership at the time. You know, that, that what right. they were trying to do with it and where they wanted it to go and it, it would show up in the scripts. And, of course, you know, part of it, I'm sure a big part of it does have to fall on the writers of the actual scripts, too. Right. Kind of like, okay, you can tighten this up. You need you you need to go through another revision of this story before you actually present it next time type of deal. The one thing on the dialogue level, though, that Fran does that I really do like is pink skins. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah I got like is, that it keeps, Yeah. Yeah. It's it's comes across as such an insult. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and and it's it's such a lesson, I think, to our age where, oh, you can never refer to anybody's personal characteristics. It's like right. what a horror that is. It's like, dude, call me a pink skin all day. I'm not gonna care. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Big deal. Yeah, blue skin. <laughs> yeah. So um yeah, speaking of like the the writing, the story on this was by Rick Berman and Brandon Braga, the the two big mm. head honchos. But it was the, the the script was written by two other people on staff. I would I would assume Mike Sussman and Phyllis Strong, and so that that could be one of the things. Like the story idea is good, but the execution maybe the staff was just not up to up to par on being able to carry through, or maybe the producers didn't let the staff be up to right. par. Right, right. That's true too. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to blame them completely. <laughs> yeah. So uh, to Paul takes the shot. You know, she jumps in front of Sopek. So we had to find a way for T'Pol to be left on Enterprise. And this was Yeah, so who's not going to have the sleepless nights now? 
Yeah. <laughs> yes. So Peck, played by Gregory Itzen, who, who is all over Star Trek. Lots of guest appearances. In 24, he was the president on 24 at one point. Yes. That she oh. just hated. <laughs> he was such, just hated him. Uh, so he does a good job of playing those characters. So she takes the shot, and then they, they play it up for her, and they, they lie about it. And that's about where we end things here. I mean, we'll, we'll be coming back in later seasons. In fact, right up to season four, when there's a inva- the Vulcans invade Andoria. Uh, but that's, I mean, this is kind of where we end this episode. And I'm not mm-hmm. sure how the, do the, do the events of this episode carry through? I don't remember now. Do they? Do you remember if they carry through to later in the season and other stuff? Well, they're, they're certainly going to play with similar stuff in the future. Like we're going to have the, now that we've had the Vulcans are yanking T'Pol from the ship, we're going to have the must T'Pol go to live with her prearranged marriage boyfriend plot. Right. And, you know, they're going to recycle the same themes with the Vulcans and the Andorians. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, it's a... Uh, um, overall thoughts on this this episode? Uh, apart, you know, final thoughts on yeah. this, Father Corey? No, like, like, like I said, it was it was a good episode for the first season of Enterprise. It wasn't wasn't a masterpiece. It's not going to win any awards, but it was you know for for yeah. it was one of the the brighter lights in a pretty <laughs> dark uh, first season of Enterprise. So yeah, speaking of dark, everything on the planet's surface took place at night. Which was yep. a pain in the neck to to even on a you know modern TV streaming you know high def it was pretty dark to to see what the action oh, was going on. Yeah, they had to rely on dialogue because like once the Vulcans show up and are fighting, I'm going, are those Vulcans? And Shran is Vulcans. I was like, <laughs> okay, thank you. I needed that. <laughs> yeah, right, right, <laughs> exactly. So yeah, that that was as a uh, from a direct a directing production design standpoint, that was uh, I think a, a flaw uh, in it. I did like, you know, speaking of, the, of that scene, though, where at least everybody had different weapons and it, they yes. show differently, you know, they, they different colors, different effects. Yeah. You know, so at least they, they, they put some effort into that. Vulcan lasers are green because they have green blood. Yeah. Just like a, a human lasers are red. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They were. Yeah. Exactly. So they're and, pulses uh, instead of lasers, you know. Yeah. And, it is interesting. I, just, I, I kind of been thinking about this with a lot of these sci-fi things is if the tactics would be very different in that time period because when you shoot at someone with a something that makes a an arrow back to where you are essentially mm-hmm. that changes mm-hmm. the ability to shoot from cover uh when you're when you're in a firefight like that so i which is why you want flying drones with autonomous firing and that's how we get skynet <laughs> right oh good uh, that in fact i think that was in falcon and winter soldier he has a drone that uh, is autonomous mm. uh, yes all right. I found it interesting that they have only 15 phase pistols on the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like, wow, really? I'm, does oh. everyone else have slug throwers? I mean, surely you've got enough sidearms for uh, more than 15 people. I, I wonder if that's just the, the, their insistence that Enterprise is not a military vessel, despite being armed to the teeth no. with yeah. phase cannons and yeah. stuff. Uh, um, on an exploratory ship, when you don't know what's out there, everybody needs a sidearm, at least. <laughs> Yes. I I appreciated the fact that it is Vulcan policy not to negotiate with terrorists. Actually, I think Mm -hmm. that's a sensible policy. Mm -hmm. I found it ridiculous the Vulcans couldn't track the shuttle pod because all you need is a telescope. Right. (laughs) I liked that Malcolm and Tucker immediately got captured, just like the Vulcan guy predicted they would. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, 
And I'm mystified by how at the end of the firefight, the Vulcans and the Andorians just kind of split and nobody's taking anyone into custody in spite of violations of the Tau Ceti Accords. Right, right. And no coordinates to to be found. None of their police or security. All right. So didn't get closure on a bunch of stuff, but (laughs) yes, whatever. All right. I think that about does it for us this time. Uh, So as we wrap things up, I do want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create Secrets of Star Trek, including Michael D., John and Greta C., John S., Michael F., and Justin D. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the Secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And we'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us every week. So what did you think of Shadows of Pajem? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek, or our Facebook page, facebook.com slash starquestmedia, or send an email to trek at sqpn.com. And we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing what's past its prologue from the first season of Discovery. Until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, and live long and prosper. Father Corey Stika, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, our protein resequencer can make chicken sandwiches. 